Welcome back to Henderson Commercial. Sitting down with Toby Silk again from CBRE. Mate, great to have you on board again. Thanks for having me again. No problem, mate. We mate, we were chatting uh, like last year, I think it was around November time, right? Um, and it was, mate, we were sort of talking about how that the year was going to end and, you know, what you guys had sort of thought was going to happen. Well, usually there's a mad rush up until Christmas and then, you know, starting the new year. Is that, has that panned out, how, how we thought since we last chatted? Is that? Yeah, um, unfortunately it wasn't the case. So normally we do see a huge run into Christmas, but I mm-hmm. um, don't know if you remember, but on Melbourne Cup Day when everyone was celebrating, uh, the Reserve Bank came yeah. through and slammed everyone with another interest rate increase. And that in itself just killed all the momentum from both the seller side and a buyer side. So uh, we had a very slow run into Christmas last year and, and uh, not many transactions occurred, um, unfortunately. However, seeing um, that being very different this year, normally we have a very slow uh, beginning to January. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year it's kind of come off or started off with a bang. Uh, a lot of buyers and a lot of uh, sellers looking to uh, get their property sold or buyers looking to buy. Um, reason being, I think, is my interpretation of it all is the fact that we are seeing inflation dropping um, so the reserve bank's interest rate rises are starting to take a hold and have effect on on inflation is and which is what they're intended to do um, and based on that i think a lot of buyers are saying okay well it's unlikely the reserve bank's probably going to increase interest rates any further mm-hmm. um, and the next movement that does occur probably will be a drop yeah um, in interest rates and when that happens um, that's just going to kick off the next cycle and off the back of that it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy we've already seen buyers going okay well now i'm at the perceived bottom of the cycle it's yeah. time to buy now yeah. and we're seeing a lot more buyer activity in the market right now trying mm-hmm. to take advantage of that and that in itself is just generating competition so i i expect mm-hmm. prices to start growing from now yeah right yeah so essentially we're saying look this is the bottom now yeah it's just it's just the only way is up right 100 percent. yeah yeah um are you guys look when you say inflation figures are you guys just solely looking at like australian marketplace so do you do you factor in like the american markets and what's happening there for inflation because a lot of time we follow those type of markets right? yeah 100 percent. like yeah. we we try to look to the international markets to get an indication of of where we might be heading yeah um and we are getting a lot of um, I guess reports from the banks and other economic economists are giving us what they think is going to happen in terms of um, the inflation rate and what the bank reserve bank will do with interest rates moving forward. And there are some um, people touting the fact that it could be going down as early as May, June. Um, we having looked at the more progressed markets from us don't forecast that happening here. Um, we expect it's going to take a little bit longer to work through our market. If you look overseas, inflation has been a little bit stubborn mm. to kind of get down. Yeah. So whilst we do see that we're going in the right trajectory, it might just take longer than people expect for us to get between that 2 to 3% band. I don't expect yeah. the Reserve Bank's going to adjust anything until they see it within mm. that range. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so on that, the market this year, like, are you seeing any new trends Office space, uh, premium grade office space is still really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a flight to quality. So all the tenants have effectively run out of the lower grade pr- properties and moved into the premium grade space. And that's seeing that sector of the market still very strong. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, anything that's out of that A and premium grade space um, has been hurt significantly with huge amounts of vacancy. So um, that, yeah, some big players are pulling back, like big yeah. banks and things like that. Pulling, like, yeah, yeah back, massive yeah. vacancy. Yeah. Um, we're also seeing a lot of people subleasing. Um, so they're reducing their footprint. Yep. So um, gone are the days of needing as, many, as much space as we used to need in an office space mm-hmm. um, and now we're seeing that um, it's a more flexible work place arrangement where 
companies do want their people to come in, but they don't want them to come in every single day of the week. So mm. maybe it's a three three day on, four yeah. day off type thing or mm. some sort of situation like that. And based on that, they don't need to have the full footprint because they're effectively hot desking. Yeah, and then there's something actually that was interesting. I saw the Salesforce building, right? Have you noticed that one? That yep. one's like almost, are they, are they playing almost against it, right? Where they're saying, hey, we've got, they're still taking up, like, it looks like a lot of floor space, yes. the whole building, right? Yep. But they're essentially got three or four levels where it's just like, it's restaurants, it's cafeterias, it's people cooking for their staff. So that's more of a, like the, what you have to do almost these days, right? To try and get your staff back into that office space. Because a lot of people, if the, if the company's performing and they're essentially been working from home, then a lot of people are saying, well, we're, we're doing the same job, right? Because the company's still reaching its goals. Um, but then you've got those sales force, which are creating a space that's undeniable for people to come. They're like, oh, why wouldn't I go back into work, right? If I got free food you know all that sort of stuff yeah and essentials 100 so, yeah. so that kind of goes to that flat to quality um narrative yeah. i was talking about just a second ago so what we're seeing is that all these businesses um during covid were having a decentralization so everyone was moving into the suburban markets mm. um people were actually selling their houses and moving out to yeah. um, more suburban areas or regional areas even um but now what we're seeing is it's a re-centralization. Wow. So because yeah, right. the unemployment rate's so low, um, businesses are finding it so hard to get mm. their staff to come in. Um, so in order to get staff to come in and attract talent, you're having to make, having to provide a really, I guess, desirable workplace for them to come in. Yeah. So they're providing, um, you know, the best office spaces in the most desirable locations with a huge amount of um, amenity within the mm. um, building itself. So as you said, you know, you can get a free free lunch free breakfast even yeah. um and um you know even bar facilities and a trip facilities gym memberships all that type of stuff is coming in with it in order to attract staff so that's what we're seeing at the moment but we are seeing that there has also been a huge amount of businesses actually reducing the amount of of uh, floor space that they require as well yeah. um just due to the current climate that we're in um so retail if you're looking at like shopping centers a lot of buyers who want to buy you know, yeah. little suburban shopping centers that's really hot sought after type what, product what range are they usually sitting from a purchase price sort of perspective like because i i talk to a lot of buyers as well obviously through the buyers agency side of things that um they, they do approach us and they are looking to buy you know a small sort of regional supermarket or, or, or center what's the what's the sort of range and price ranges usually you guys sort of seeing they is it is it very random or is there like yeah like you, you can get a small one probably about 10 mil yeah and then you get your run of the meal one you're probably looking at like 30 to 50 mil um mm -hmm. as a as a smaller size one and then anything bigger than that you start to kind of compete with your institutions yeah. who run them so as a, as a private you probably really wanted to focus on that that 10 to 50 mil yeah. price point um in order to get a, a good center with a good anchor tenant mm. um, which you can uh, manage really well and, and get good income out of yeah interesting so you're saying up to 50 million you still got private investors like not once you cross that is it more funds and stuff that are buying those type of assets or? yeah like yeah. once you, you kind of you know 50 mil you do get a little bit of competition between your private and also yeah. your your institutional space mm -hmm. um but we do see a lot of privates who do participate in that $50 million space, like uh, the amount of money that is now in Australia um, has risen significantly, I think also off the back of COVID. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of people with a lot of money um, ready to kind of uh, deploy it into what they see as, as good opportunities in the current marketplace. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, so industrial space is um, really hot property and has been for the last yeah. last five years or so. Um, that's only been strengthened off the back of COVID um, as everyone kind of has a flight towards e-commerce. Um, so e-commerce, if you look at Australia, as opposed to the US, we are lagging in the amount of products and services which are bought online. 
yeah, um, right. so people still do a lot of their retail purchasing going into the shopping center and yeah, stores well, and what like that yeah. um, but you know that kind of was um, stopped almost during COVID and people were forced to kind of go and do things on online whereas people were quite resistant to that especially yeah. the older generation but now that that's become something which people are more comfortable doing we're seeing a lot more demand for um, industrial spaces where people are kind of trading the traditional uh, shop front for a warehouse space so do you think that do you think that's a part so when you say we're we're, we're falling behind in that sort of online purchasing is that you know that's a part of our culture over here that we do like to get out and get it get out and about and i suppose you know a bit more social and things like that or you think it's just because we're maybe just not as developed yet yeah it could be a bit of a and a bit of yeah, a. Um, yeah. i think yeah we, we do like to get on that that's why i think that a lot of these um big shopping centers are, are changing their mix of tenants mm. and making it more of a interaction rather than just going there to buy goods and services so they're increasing their service offering they're also increasing the amenity that they provide to um, people potentially coming down so it's not just about going down to buy something now it's about going down there having a coffee taking the kids to the play right? group it's, it's an like experience how do we make yeah. that experience a lot different how do we draw than, the yeah. buyers in yeah. so um based on that you know i think that that's a, a clever way to ensure that they future proof those types mm -hmm. of centers to keep getting people to come in and also compete with online retail mm -hmm. and i think also in australia what we don't have that they do have in the us which is probably drawing us back from having such a surge in e-commerce is the fact that we don't have same day delivery really mm. you know if you go into america because america is is such a dense yeah. country they can have all these service centers these warehouses which the infrastructure to set yeah, up to so they it, can yeah. then do same day delivery where in australia you're probably looking at really realistically three to five so, days yeah, to get right. anything so if yeah. you want to buy something right now you need to go out to the store and buy it right now yeah and uh, i know a lot of us are quite impulsive and you feel like it's you true, want to buy yeah, something yeah, like, i, I want to get a new phone yeah, i want to yeah, get it yeah, now yeah. i do that personally i know that if i'm like oh two to three days like online i'm like i'll just go to the shop so i think yeah. that kind of holds us back in that space as well that well, just I, one quick yeah. question on that industrial stuff like do you think yeah. that's going to be a trend that's going to essentially sort of sort of i suppose wear out after a little while do you think like the, obviously it's a hot blue chip sort of side of the commercial space at the moment um, but like talking to even from us i've got a, i've got a few buyers at the moment that are looking for that small industrial sort of um warehouse like do you think that trend is going to eventually wear out or, or do you think that's here to stay like stay for the sort of yeah it's, it's a really a really good question yeah. and um there is a, a little bit of um shakiness on the horizon um so we have started to see that there has been a few businesses that haven't dealt with what's happening in the economy um quite so well right. um so we are seeing that a few tenants for example have had to close down their businesses or um shut up shop reason being is that they haven't been able to keep the business running um, they've been hurt by the fact that we've had a huge amount of inflation mm. um, so electricity bills have gone up through the roof yeah. um, they can't get staff mm. which has been a real big problem and, and if they do get staff they have to pay, pay big wages for those staff and and mm. they're not the most reliable people unfortunately yeah. um, and then the other thing that they're having to deal with is, is also increased rents um, so the cost base has just gone up significantly they haven't been able to absorb yeah. that increase in cost base um, so we're seeing that a few businesses are going into receivership so we are starting to so see trickle down yeah that's yeah. going to trickle down so we'll yeah. see that there won't be as much tenant demand in the industrial space off the back of that and we're talking mm. more the smaller space rather than the yeah. high end of town um so um what will happen inadvertently is that 
uh, sale prices will start to be affected as well because obviously it's going to have yeah. a higher risk so people will adapt yeah. a higher yield to it. And also, but if you're saying like we get, we're, we're, the transition is, is growing as far as, as e-com yeah. uh, and they're one of the main people who are using those small industrial warehouses, yeah. essentially that could like bring it back again, right? Yeah, it could, like, it could offset it, it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. We are starting to see the more traditional type businesses struggling more than your probably e-commerce tech type yeah, businesses. Yeah, yeah. So things like, um, you know, metal fabrication, strangely enough, that's been mm. around for years and years yeah. and years. They're just not surviving, especially in these areas where you've got these very bullish rents. It's just too hard for them to survive. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's interesting, all right? Because I was out, I think it was a few weeks ago now, I was up in Brisbane in the east side. I looked around sort of Newstead and those type of areas and I was looking at some small industrial warehouses and it was interesting when I walked through the like the the park of, of small industrial to see the diversity of, of businesses inside these locations now. But traditionally, like you're saying, like, it used to be yeah. fabric medication, maybe plumbers, maybe tradies. Like usually would would use these types of warehouses, right? Mm. Now there's like there's CrossFit gyms, there's coffee roasters, breweries. There's like the amount of businesses now that are that are using that. It's it's yeah, it's definitely on the ground. That's exactly what's yeah, happening. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of changing of the guard. It, mm. You know, areas are almost gentrifying, yeah. and and it's not just your additional traditional industrial uh, fabrication type space now it, it is again almost becoming like a a um a, a sensory kind of environment where kind of like the, the uh, shopping centers are trying to bring people in by mm. creating some sort of experience yeah it's almost becoming an experience base in these industrial areas Definitely. as well yeah. and you're getting a lot more restaurants in them as well yeah. um and breweries as you say Cafes, people so coming out for yeah. and it's no longer a, a monday to friday it's now you know seven days a week especially yeah. with these breweries coming definitely in for, and i've even seen like accountants and things like that out in them right which is <laughs> which is interesting but like you go well they typically would pay you know a certain type of rent in a location maybe in an office or something mm. and they worked out that they now can you know get something in a, like a warehouse which is half the rent mm. and essentially they're, they're still providing the same service to their customers right because they're not you know, not a lot of people are coming in to, to visit them in, in store anymore and a lot of people booking uh, like in-face appointments it's all a lot of it's done online a lot of digital stuff so they, we're working that out too yeah 100 percent. so yeah. normally what you'll find with an industrial space is that people want 80 percent of it to be a warehouse space and 20% to be yeah, office space. Offices, yeah. um, if you have at a higher ratio of office space, it's superfluous to it what their needs are. Yeah. So what you'll find is that the tenant may sublease that space out to maybe an accountant or even yeah. I've seen a real estate agent in, That's in, a, yeah, in yeah, a warehouse yeah. uh, myself. So if yeah, you have too right. much office space, you can definitely find tenants. I've seen that actually. That was yeah. exactly what was happening in this park. There's about two or three of the warehouses that were total office. Yeah. And they were like literally, a lot of them in that complex were, were like you were saying, they had split the tenancies up and had two different businesses in the one warehouse which is yep. very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. definitely changing um we'll look at the other the other asset classes like i mean especially asset classes and things like that like servos and things like that is that you're seeing much sort of happening in those spaces do you, do you guys do much of that or yeah we do like we, we yeah. do service stations we've got child cares and those type of assets are always uh strongly sought after yeah. recent being is they generally got really strong uh lease terms in yeah. them and the tenants behind them generally um tenants that have got pretty good backing and you can be confident that they're they're not going to have an issue ever paying their rent yeah um in the other spaces that we also deal with uh, at the moment is um you know things like apartment blocks and boarding houses mm -hmm. um they're going from strength to strength uh unfortunately we are got a rental crisis that we are currently experiencing here in sydney i think it's also a phenomenon that we're seeing around the world mm -hmm. um there's just not enough rental properties 
to bring to the market to, to deal with the, the demand and there's not enough also being built. Yep. Um, so we're seeing a lot of investors trying to cash in on this growing phenomenon and, and buy these boarding houses and buy these apartment blocks. Uh, so we've got a lot of demand for those right we now. Will, um, yeah, as we were having a chat about this in the office ourselves the other day and, and one of the guys was saying is we're about to just bring in a whole new heap of legislation around um, certain pockets of Sydney, certain pockets of Newcastle. They're going to allow now you can build up to six levels. Um, within certain areas to help with this sort of demand. So people yeah. can now you know, get approvals. And apparently the, this legislation is going to override even like um, things like um, uh, concept, what do you call it? Uh, local, local council. Local council, yeah. like um, local environmental plans. Yeah, all that type of yeah. stuff. It's going to essentially override all that. So if you have got those type of properties, you can now essentially build up to six levels to, to provide some more housing and more. Yeah, so, so that, that hasn't yet been um gazetted yet yeah. but um it's definitely been proposed by um the state government um so what they're going to be is they're going to bring in these uh what they call state environmental planning policies and being at a state level they override your local environmental yeah, planning right. policies yeah. um so they're coming into effect over this year really um so they've got two major ones um one's been uh, one's been coined the transport orientated development yeah um, so effectively what they're doing is they're uh, rezoning within 1200 meters of eight major train stations that mm, they've identified. Right, right, yep. And then there's also 31 other train stations that any property within 400 meters, if it's zoned residential, mm. being R1, R2, R3, R4, yeah. will get the benefit of uh, six stories. So 21 meters, and uh, they're going to increase the FSR to three to one. Yeah, that's right. And then the other one that they're bringing out, which is something to kind of cover off what's uh, missed out by this transport-orientated development SEP, is um, it's under SEP housing, but what they're doing is they're going to bring in what they're calling well-located homes. And effectively what they're going to do is anything that's missed out by this transport-orientated development. So if you're still within 800 metres of a train station, as long as it's a light rail or metro or a train station, yeah. um, or property which is within 400 metres will get rezoned the same in terms of 3 to 1 FSI and then the 21 metre height limit, so six storeys. And anything which is within 400 and 800 metres will be rezoned to four storeys and right. 2 to 1 FSR. Um, so that's likely to come into effect what they're talking about is midway through this year but being the government could be yeah, a little bit delayed yeah. um, and on top of that as well they're going to be rezoning r2 low density property within all of new south wales um you will effectively be able to put a duplex on it right. as long as you meet some minimum standards so yeah. they're trying to really aggressively bring in some development um where i see this development happening is probably the more affluent areas because the cost base to develop is so high at the moment mm -hmm. it only makes sense economically and feasibly speaking to do it in very affluent areas yeah. um, if you do it in areas that you know where it doesn't make sense it's just not going to happen so therefore I see that the areas that this will happen are going to be probably a more um, more in a in a 10 kilometer radius of the Sydney CBD mm, definitely yeah, yeah. 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 Mate, good that's great that's great insight the other um, thing obviously like I was we're talking about you know what's what's the trends that are coming are you seeing any challenges coming forward in this year like what you feel could could affect the marketplace yeah, I, th I think that the challenges are going to come off the back of um, the fact that I think that there will be a few small businesses 
who won't survive. Like you're saying, yeah, going yeah, this current, yeah, liquidation, this, yeah, yeah, liquidation receivership. They're just not going to survive, unfortunately. And so I think there will be a little bit of vacancy, and then there will be a hiccup, and hopefully we'll see a lot of investors be able to ride out that vacancy period. Um, but there may be some people who will be forced to sell their properties because they won't be able to service their loans. So we might see some properties that come onto to the mm. market. We are seeing a little bit of that start to come into the fold, yeah. um, where we haven't really seen much of that for the last few years. Um, but yeah, definitely starting to see some more mortgagee in possession yep. and also receivership, which um, is which is yeah. going to happen, right? Like we we're saying before, if we're at the bottom of the marketplace now, this is the time when you're going to see a lot of that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, we're chatting off air just earlier, and what you were talking about how you know you essentially, um, I suppose, some of the success stories around helping. You know, even if the mum and dads potentially are sitting on a bit of a, a development site that they're not aware of, right? You're, you're mm. mentioning something that, like, you know, you could, you've had a story in the past where you, you essentially, you know, help somebody sell their property. You were saying, or, or, or yeah, you know, so in the development area, yeah. So, so a lot of people are unaware mm. what zoning their property sits within. Yeah. Um, so they may be living in a house and they may think that their property is just a house, but they don't understand that the property could potentially be redeveloped into a block of apartments, townhouses mm. or something else. Um, and effectively, sometimes the land can be worth a lot more as a development site than the house value which sits up on top of the mm. land. Yeah. Um, so we in the past have spoken to some people who were unaware that their property sit within a development zone. Yeah, right. And we said to them, look, your property sits within the development zone, would you like us to review this for you? And we did. And it turned out that their property was worth $5 million as a development site wow. and $3.5 million as a house. Just yeah. And uh, we took that to market and sold it to them, sold it for them for $5 million. Um, had they sold it as a house, they would have only got $3.5 million. So what's the yeah. process in that? Like, did you guys just do research in the, in the area and understand the zoning that, and they were just totally oblivious to... So were they looking to sell before they approached that or was that just something you guys sort of flagged with them? Yeah, well, we're, we're quite proactive. So we're yep. always looking at all the zoning maps and looking at what's zoned, you know, R4, high density residential, R3 or yep. mixed use, whatever it may be. And, and we try to make sure that we keep our market as informed as we can mm -hmm. and and we reach out to uh, people and inform them of this. And some people are happy to have that conversation and some not so. But, you know, to, to those who want to, uh, listen and, and want to have a conversation we're happy to kind of educate them on that yeah that's a great result i mean someone could sell their home for potentially three and a half like you're saying as an own occupier or, or a standard property and then have someone come along and say hey you guys are in uh is a development site we'll take it off your hands for an extra one and a half meal that's amazing right mm. <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. like that mate what are you seeing as far as like i mean obviously through every industry at the moment we're getting a lot of technology and, and things like that pop up and assist um you know are you seeing any trends in, in technology going to help or influence a commercial property space yeah we've already seen technology have huge yeah uh, changes to the uh, property space um, traditionally you know used to have real strength in being a franchise um, for residential agents especially mm -hmm. um, because people wanted familiarity and they used to have shop fronts where people be able to walk in off the street and that's how people kind of bought and sold property and these days it's everyone just does everything through the internet mm. so we're seeing a lot of um, real estate agencies no longer needing a shop front so they now sit within office buildings um yep. and so that's kind of changed in that respect um further to that we now have um due diligence information that we can provide to people in drop boxes for yeah, example right. um so we're able to um, educate um the buyers um, and also sellers 
um, a lot more quickly and and able to get to a sale in a, a much shorter period of time because wow. of yeah, the right. the amount of information much which is out there yeah. and people can do a lot of research online now before they even talk to us so True. a lot of the people we speak to are highly educated about what their property right. is worth before we have the conversation yeah and we more or less are just cementing the beliefs that they already have around the yeah. asset but moving forward i think that there's going to be um definitely further uh technology disruptors to the industry and things that I think will only um, help improve things. Like we've already seen the rise of the virtual tools off the back of COVID. Mm. Um, so people have been effectively buying property sight unseen yep. based off a virtual we've been tour. A lot of that too. Um, yeah. So that's been something that's been really helpful, um, especially for people overseas who haven't got the ability to come and inspect these properties. Um, we're also seeing a lot of a rise in AI, artificial intelligence. Um, and that's, that's helping not only agents, but also buyers do their research and, and sellers do their research before they decide on what they want to do and we also expect to see blockchain come into the space yeah, right. and help with property management wow. effectively it will provide the ledger so that could almost be or you mean you'll run contracts and stuff with the blockchain i think yeah, yeah i think you can run contracts but also everything to do with the property could be run off a blockchain wow. and therefore if anyone needs to look at the history of an asset before they're it's buying it they the look, and everything yeah, will be yeah, effectively yeah. on a ledger yeah. and you'll be able to see anything from an air conditioning service to anything wow that's, um, that's, that's, that's happened so all sales and so transactions are we seeing that in uh, implemented at the moment in anywhere in, a, in, like in yeah a, a in lot of yeah or? a lot of a lot of um of the major firms um are looking into it right. in trying to bring it into the space um i don't think it's yet been it may have been piloted but i don't think it's yeah, yet for brought, sure. brought into yeah. to the commercial space yet but um i don't think we're too far away from that interesting yeah it's a lot of, i mean I, I mean blockchain now is i mean people still don't really understand it right but the general market don't really understand it but i'm sure uh, there's obviously specialists that are way ahead of the marketplace at the moment that that are involved in it but it seems to be a lot um a lot i suppose more private way of doing things a lot more secure way of doing things as we move into that it's interesting and a less costly yeah. as well yeah exactly yeah and quicker and, and everything yeah, yeah. Um, what's the um, we are chatting earlier as well and you are saying um, I think when you're looking at uh, from because we talk to obviously a lot of people that listen to this podcast are probably mm -hmm. mum, more, more so mum and dad investors or people that have one or two residential properties and then essentially now they're looking to get into the commercial space mm -hmm. what's the sort of analysis would you say on a smaller scale that somebody should, should be looking to do when they're looking to purchase like their own commercial asset or, or getting into it yeah, there's a lot of traps that you can fall in without having <laughs> experience. And I've been doing this for 15 years. So yeah. um, I can read a lot of the back of my hand at the moment. But um, if you don't have that experience, you can easily fall into um, buying yourself a lemon. Um, mm. So it's really important, I think, to first and foremost, uh, listen to these types of podcasts, familiarize yourself with the space and do a lot of research and, and talk to agents and, and go to inspections and yeah. and just get, a, get an understanding and a feel um, for what good property is and what you should be looking for. And then I would also suggest, especially for your first few purchases that you do employ the resources of a buyer's agent. The buyer's agent's gonna have a very um, comprehensive due diligence checklist um, and that would just stop you from uh, falling into a trap and buying something um, which may be valuable engineered um yeah, or, or, yeah. or could be something that you think is is uh, a good buy um but it, it 
it could end up being a bad buy. So. Absolutely. And we yeah. always say, like, you know, something, if you do buy an inferior property, it's going to cost you a lot more in the long run than, you know, essentially if you were to look at a buyer's agent or get some assistance from a professional at the start. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing a lot of people transition now. Like I said, they've got one or two resi. Now they're starting to look at something, or people are looking to self-manage super funds and set up those side of things, and they get into that retirement age where essentially, you know, uh, income is more required than capital growth at that time in your life. So yep. essentially they're looking to transition into that commercial space. So definitely worth... Um, um, you know, making sure you not if you're not going to spend the time yourself to get your head across all the red flags and all the diligence that that needs to be done, and, and getting somebody on your side is is definitely a big a big plus for sure. Is there any other, I suppose, any other insights or or opportunities you see potentially coming in the commercial market as we look out sort of over the next twelve months? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the risk that most buyers take is they kind of follow the herd, mm. um, and you really kind of want to almost want to be a bit counter cyclical in the way that you look at buying property, you want to buy what everyone else is not interested in at yeah. that point in Which time. Which is hard to do, you, right, from an emotional standpoint, yeah. because like, yeah. you know, it's not what the crowd's doing. Right? 100%, yeah, yeah. but that's where you'll find your value. For sure. Yeah. Because everything in life mm. uh, kind of works in cycles. Um, so if you can buy something which is at the bottom of the cycle, you know, office space, if you can find something which has got a strong tenant that sits behind it, and the tenant has got a long term mm. left on its lease, then if you buy an investment like that where you get a yield now maybe at eight percent yeah because it's just not the asset which is in trend at the moment you know as yields start to tighten again once interest rates start to go down then you're automatically going to have capital growth yeah um these leases will also have annual increases in them and you generally also have a security bond and director's guarantees so to help with well. any vacancy that may come 100 like percent. so yeah. if you have a, a long lease term left on um these types of assets they'll ride out the current environment that we're currently yeah, experiencing true. and then your property is going to be worth a lot more which is why yeah. when you, you were saying before like the types of things like your medical your your child care facilities like there's a reason why they perform so well right it's because they have a 30-year lease in place that's mm. going to ride out three to three three to maybe three market cycles yep and essentially be able to hold through those yep um so yeah that's that's great advice yeah so looking at looking at the lease and, and then potentially um you know making sure that what you're saying is like picking opportunities that essentially could could ride out the long the, the market cycles we're going through currently yeah, yeah. I think so. Like you kind of want to look where everyone else isn't looking because mm. that's where you'll find the value. Um, if you look where everyone else is looking, that's where all the competition lies. Yeah. Um, yields are very tight. It's very hard to find value and it's very hard for you to kind of generate much capital growth unless you're lucky uh, due to macroeconomic um, things out of your control, yeah. like the Reserve Bank reducing yeah. interest rates. That's, that's kind of out of your control. Um, but if you can control certain things, so you can control, you know, how the lease is, like is the lease up to the spec that you require it to be? Mm. Um, do you have security bonds? How long has the lease got left on it? What's yeah. the company behind it? Is the, you know, guarantees with those directors? What assets do the directors have in their name? Mm. You know, that can give you a lot of comfort that they're not just going to um, pick up everything Correct. and just yeah. disappear. And then you're left with an asset that you can't service your loan. Yeah, and also understanding the business, right? And seeing, mm. is, is this a business that's going to be here in the next 10 years, right? Like, are they, like the constant thing is, like, are they selling, are they printing newspapers when newspapers are going to, you could see they're running out of business, right? Like, yeah. over the next 10, 15 years. So making sure the business inside is actually foolproof as well. Yep. The other thing I was going to ask on that point then, so if we're looking at under underperforming areas and looking for opportunities, mm. there's a big 
thing on retail at the moment if we go back on that for a sec is like you know retail i've come from a retail background myself personally and i'm always a big believer that a good retail space in the right location you know is, is always a good investment uh, providing obviously you understand the rest of it like you just talked about leases and things like that, that are around it mm. but um do you feel then looking at a retail sector uh, section like or a retail space like since the COVID and that sort of had a bit of a flat line um, do you see anything like coming back on that side? Do you see retail picking back up? Do you see that could be the opportunity that people could look at for the future? Or do you feel that we are eventually going to move completely away from that and just be online? No, I think retail is always going to have its place. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you can get a retail um, opportunity which has got the ability to, you know, re re um phoenix itself into yeah. many different, different types, types of, of yeah. yeah so if you if you know if, you, if it's got the access to grease trap um access to exhaust can facilities do food, so you can, can do retail, food and cafe do, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that yeah. so if, if you can make sure that it's got the ability to be very adaptable um that's where you're going to safeguard yourself and yes we have seen yields soften in that space because people do see retail as as quite risky at the moment um but again if you can find the right tenant the right lease term or even if it's if a shorter lease term but you see it's in a prime position and the adaptability of that space mm. is going to appeal to you know not only the tenants in there at the moment but maybe someone else um yeah. will help ensure that you lease it in a very quick period of time um, and the other thing is that a lot of these have um some some good bond periods on them and, and the tenant generally has to tell you between you know three to six months Absolutely. prior to yeah. the prior to the option if they're going to take up their option so you get a good indication of whether or not your tent's going to stay or when they go and so if it's a, a really desirable location you're going to be pretty confident you're going to lease it up within that three three month mm. window um, so you just want to make sure that you know it is a really good retail space it has all the appeal it has really strong foot traffic um, so it's worthwhile if you are looking at a retail space to actually sit down across the road at a cafe watch the retail watch space yeah, yeah and watch it yeah. at different times of the day because yeah. you want to see how many people walking past it because it's all about foot, foot traffic, traffic and yeah. frontage with retail we used to do that even yeah. when i was like i was buying cafes and, and businesses we used to sit, sit somebody out the front with a, with a clicker even and, and click yeah. the amount of foot traffic that's walking past the property or the business um that was it's a definitely a good a good measure because you're right it's all about location foot traffic um the other thing with with small business sometimes in these especially if it's a restaurant the other thing or, or a cafe is what there's some of the most i suppose heavily traded businesses as well when you're mm. looking at buying businesses so the one thing that you can fall in even though sometimes it can look great on paper like we're saying you've got a strong lease you've got a really good tenant in place you've got a good business there sometimes after two three years of being into that lease that tenant can be like hey i'm going to sell my business right so mm. sometimes what i found just operating that space myself is like they would sell the business to an inferior operator and then all of a sudden you've got an inferior um you know, asset on your hand right because the client the tenant isn't as strong uh which is something to look out for right like when people are trying to sell a business you always you'll notice that a lot of those business or those properties are, are heavily traded businesses inside them so another thing to be careful if, if they're looking at retail is definitely that side of things yeah yeah 100 percent. and and you'll find that really clever investors or investors that may have been burnt in the past will actually put mechanisms within the lease to protect themselves against that sure. so um for example, Joe Bloggs may have a three-month security have bond. have to prove it as well. And, yeah. and then if, and then if, if a John Smith comes and yeah. buys off Joe Bloggs, then John Smith has to provide 12-month security 12. bond. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it increases, and that, that way you can kind of reduce the, the risk yeah. that you're, you're exposed to by things that are out of, out of your control. And like you were saying, if you can have the property that you can phoenix or you can change and you're yeah. adapting, then yeah. you're essentially you're writing that risk off, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Perfect. Good, good property is always going to be in demand. Absolutely, man. Mate, that's a good point to, uh, to finish on. Toby, thanks so much, mate. It's been a pleasure again. And, uh, mate, we'll uh, look, look forward to the next one. No worries at all. Thanks very much.
much for having me. It's been good to catch up with you again, Damien. Cheers, man. Cheers. This is general advice and does not take into consideration your objectives, situation or needs. You should consider if this advice is suitable to you or your circumstances and please read any applicable PDS beforehand. This is a Henderson podcast production.